Three people were injured on a busy Black Friday. It wasn't always like this, but something happened in 1983. And we were never going back. The intensity of this search for these dolls. A full-grown woman taking a doll out of a child's hand? They trampled everybody. The way in which people reacted in stores, this was new. What do we tell our little girl Christmas morning? What are we supposed to say? You've been good, but Santa ran short? This is a story about the worst parts of capitalism. This nice lady created these dolls. And then this guy comes along and he steals the idea. I don't know whether it's true or not true. Cabbage Patch Kids are original to Xavier. I used to think that it was illegal to talk about this when I was little. Anybody tells you, oh, yeah, we knew this was going to happen, you institutionalize them. I don't think there were any winners. The winner was money. Is this an advertiser's dream come true or a nightmare? I was scared to death. That was the trailer for the feature documentary, Billion Dollar Babies, The True Story of the Cabbage Patch Kids. And this is Factual America. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood. Each week I watch a hit documentary and then talk to the filmmakers and their subjects. Cabbage Patch Kids were the 1980s toy craze that started it all. This unlikeliest of fads introduced America, and ultimately the world, to Black Friday and all the trappings that we've all come to expect riots, scuffles, and mayhem, just to grab that last must-have item on the shelf on the day after Thanksgiving. Joining us to discuss the film is Dan Goodman, producer and co-founder of Believe Entertainment. We have a lot of fun talking about the phenomenon that was Cabbage Patch Kids. Connie Chun and Neil Patrick Harris also get a mention. You won't want to miss this. Stay tuned. Dan Goodman, welcome to Factual America. How are things with you? Everything's great. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's a pleasure. We're talking about Billion Dollar Babies, the true story of the Cabbage Patch Kids. Um, yes, it, I guess it premiered at Tribeca last year. Premiered at Tribeca Film Festival last year. Yep, exactly and, right. And now a limited theatrical release in the USA and Canada on November 24th, known as Black Friday right. to some of us and some of our yes. listeners. Uh, yes. Indeed, so welcome. Great to have you on. Is it any chance Same. of um, uh, people being able to see it elsewhere? Is that still being worked out? Uh, that's that's being worked on, but they, we definitely have plans to expand that distribution after this first theatrical window for sure. So we will keep people uh, up to speed with all the okay. latest info. Absolutely. Oh. Okay, sounds good. It will uh, be much more widely available. For <laughs> well, they, I, I hope so. Yeah. Um, so the, most of our listeners uh, and viewers will not have had a chance to see this yet, uh, and most, most likely. So maybe you can start us off. Tell us what is, what is Billion Dollar Babies really all about? Give us a synopsis. Yeah. 
Well, the Billion Dollar Babies is the story of the Cabbage Patch Kids and um, really kind of digging into its origins, uh, some of which you might know about. And I think what you'll find from watching the film is there's a lot you didn't know about. Um, but, you know, Cabbage Patch Kids was such a major, iconic brand in the early 80s. You know, it was one of those defining brands. And recently, uh, as of, I don't know, a week or two ago, just got inducted into the Toy Hall of Fame. Um, finally, after many years of, of petitioning and, and applying. Um, so it's just, you know, it's one of those things. It's just, you know, it's it's been in the zeitgeist. This is the 40th. A uh, year of its release, 1983, mm. uh, was really when it came to market. It hit with a bang, uh, literally and figuratively, um, because it created toy craze hysteria. Right. You know, really unlike anything ever. Um, you know, there were a lot of toy fads before, but this was really the one of the first times that toy shopping turned violent. Yeah. Um, you know, where yeah. people had to get they're coming out of stores in ambulances. So yeah. the, 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 the documentary is really, you know, it's one pop, one part pop culture right. and it's one part kind of exploring like what, what was the, what was happening, you know, yeah. Yeah. to us as a, as a society at the time that created this perfect storm and you know, what's happened since, what is it spawned and what is it, right. what is it left in its wake kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, believe it or not, for maybe, well, I won't speak for you, I'll I'll speak for myself. A lot of our listeners will have not maybe even been born when this thing happened, so it... um, I was. (laughs) I I I definitely was. I I was, I'm I'm very cognizant of what was going on. Um, (laughs) I mean, to put it bluntly, um, my wife was even saying, I think that was, I was already too old for that by that point. Yeah. So, yeah, Yeah. so... uh, Yeah. Uh, but what are I mean? Just they were kind of an unlikely candidate. Oh yeah. F- for yeah. I mean, I didn't even know there was a toy hall of fame. But you wouldn't have thought they would be in the yeah. toy hall of fame when they got. So what was what? Maybe you can describe what these things are and and why they became such a hit. Well, you know, you bring up such a good point because they they are kind of an unlikely um, phenomenon as a as a brand as a toy because they. You know, they're sort of these potato-faced looking like, you know, they're not Barbies. They're not like the, you know, most like cute, beautiful, whatever dolls. They're kind of like, you know, a little awkward and weird looking. And they're sort of chubby and they've got, you know, but um, they were, and they don't do anything. They 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 didn't have electronics. They didn't take batteries. But, you know, what we kind of delve into is... Uh, a lot of the different things that made these dolls, and I'm sorry, we're not supposed to call them dolls. We're supposed yeah. to call them babies or kids. They are not D-O-L-L-S, as we as we learned. Um, but, you know, the things that made uh, these um, kids so relatable was partly because they did look kind of homely and... Right unauthentic like they weren't i mean sorry very authentic they weren't like you know uh models or barbies or whatever they Mm. felt like kids felt like they looked like them and uh this was really one of the first mass customization you know products Mm. on the market coleco leveraged a lot of the technology to be able to create 
all these, you know, kind of micro variations of the thing. So different skin color, different eye color, different hair color, different, you know, one's got dimples, one doesn't, one's got freckles, one, do- you know, and it's millions of combinations. So the really the uniqueness of each of these dolls became, you know, something that these kids could relate to. Um, and then, you know, you adopted them. Yeah. And that was a whole nother thing of little boys and little girls becoming little parents. Uh, that was something very new. And the fact that they marketed it to young boys as well as girls was also very new. So there were just a lot of things that really related to the kids um, in a pretty significant way that made them, um, you know, a really interesting, though I, I'm with you, unlikely, um, you know, product. Yeah, and that's, I mean, my my view is, I mean, obviously my judgment is based purely on sort of appearances, but like you said, as you've just said, I mean, they're well ahead of their time in terms of marketing of it, yeah. uh, being able to mass produce something yet make everyone think they've got something that's a unique doll. It's right. extremely diverse. They're not all blonde-haired and blue-eyed and, and all yep. those things, and so it spoke to a really wide, wide market. And then yep. at the same time, as you said, uh, you used the Z word I was going to use myself, actually, but you set this... Set the scene. What is so? This is happening. This guy. Uh-huh. And we'll talk a little bit more about uh, Xavier Roberts and others in a few minutes. But yep. this guy comes up with this idea for this. Uh, I'll say doll. I no one's yep. told me not to. We say can doll. say dolls. Nobody's going to. Yeah, okay. yeah. They're no not going to come say, after us. Okay. Yeah. Uh, hopefully not. The, we don't yeah. want the cabbage patch <laughs> police coming after us. But uh, what was going on in America at this time that yeah. kind of became this sort of. Uh, um, I don't know, the, 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 the pot that this could kind of grow in and, and become a craze. Well, it's very interesting because, um, you know, the roots of it were not just what was happening in that moment, but from a consumerism perspective, we examine what had led up to that moment and what had happened in the past. And, you know, I think one of the things we uncovered that was so fascinating is you start with parents who were kids, you know, growing up at a time when uh, they're coming out of the Great Depression Mm. and, you know, they just didn't have a lot. Their their parents couldn't do so many things for them. Right. So as they became parents and coming into, you know, the late 70s, early 80s, you've got this, you know, kind of maternal instinct to want to do for your kids. And it's normal, right? You want to do for your kids things that you couldn't have yourself. You want to improve that generation. So on the one hand, you have this kind of, you know, beginnings that started really a a while ago. You're talking about, you know, the parents' childhoods. Mm. And now coming out of a recession in the late 70s into, you know, really kind of better economic times in the 80s, plus... The credit card is becoming adopted, mm. so you start spending, and it's sort of casino style. You don't really know what you're spending for the holidays. Right, right. And, you know, so this combination of parents really wanting to do for them, it's easy to buy. Money's coming up a little bit more uh, readily available, and it's, you know, the beginning of the 80s, which is, mm. you know, maybe one of the most materialistic times mm. in, you know, the last century. Yeah, they didn't call it the go-go 80s for nothing. That's uh, right. <laughs> um, so you're, as you say, there's it's it's more than just billion-dollar babies. It's the yeah. uh, you know it's the 
truth true story of the cabbage patch kids so you capture yeah. you capture the whole story uh yeah. you track down xavier roberts which i xavier, gather yeah. wasn't uh-huh. an easy thing to do it was Isn't not that right it but was not he, yep but then he makes a quite an appearance i mean he's on for quite a quite a he was he time. was amazing i mean he, he'd never really done an interview uh of this substance before um most of what he'd done in the past had been you know tv style interviews or responding to a particular you know lawsuit they were in with garbage bail kids or whatever you right, know right, whatever right. it was um he'd never really done anything extensive like that and frankly he just really hadn't done anything mm. for 20 plus years um and he became a little bit you know he's just kind of a private person and he just sort of came back you know sort of in the background uh and so tracking him down was really tough our director andrew jenks would was you know reaching out to old high school friends we heard whispers (laughs) that he was in the south of france you know it's like it was just it was it was wild you know i mean it was really it took months just to find a way to get in contact with him and then um, you know, we got in contact with Della Tolhurst, who um, is a really wonderful woman, who it was his president of OAA, which is um, Original Appalachian Artworks. Yeah. Uh, that was the company that Xavier owned that started all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and Della w- was able to, um, you know, kind of get to know us and then encourage him to participate uh, and it was just, you know, we sat with him for three hours, I think it was. I mean, everything wow. was on the table. We talked about everything. He was an yep. open book. Uh, and I just, I really give him a lot of credit. He, he's a, mm. was a, it was a terrific conversation. And I, I thought completely fascinating, especially because all I knew of him was his signature on the rear end of the dolls up yeah, until that, that point, right? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> My sister's had all these Cabbage Patch kids with, you know, with this guy who signed the rear end of the dolls. I'm like, oh, this doesn't make any sense. Why did he sign all the... <laughs> It's a bit strange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he answers that question too in the documentary. Yeah. So you yeah. Have to check it out. I mean, you've got, I mean, you got toy exec extraordinaire Alfred Kahn who look him yeah. up, Google him. He's yeah. name any toy of the last few decades and he's somehow been involved. involved. Yeah. Um, you, you document who knew the dog eat dog world of Appalachian craft fairs, right. <laughs> lawsuits, <laughs> riots, riots at shopping malls and big stores. Amazing. What yeah. that footage of the guy. So you have the one guy who describes being at that store. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've actually got the footage of the guy with the baseball bat. I yes. Mean, Alan was there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we got lucky. I mean, we had a, we, we had a, a, a number of archive producers that worked mm-hmm. on the project. Um, you know, we, we, we were able and I think fortunate to find a bunch of really great stuff mm-hmm. uh, that was out there. But yeah, the store manager was, you know, fearful for his life. And he stands up on the counter with an aluminum baseball bat. Yeah. trying to threaten these people to back up and, and calm down, which I'm wow. not sure standing up at the top <laughs> with an aluminum baseball bat is going to get anybody to calm down, but he was freaking out. And in spoiler so, alert, I mean, at the same time, they're throwing yeah. beanie bits. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. He's, sorry, he's like, you know what? Forget you know. it. They just started chucking the boxes into the crowd. He's like, get out of my store here. They don't even, I don't even think anybody paid for them. He just started giving them away and yeah. throwing them over the counter. The police officers in there, the guard, they're throwing them to people. Pandemonium. So give, like, you know, for, you know, if I may say, you know, it is pandemonium. I mean, give yeah. uh, listeners and viewers a, a feel. I mean, imagine just, it has the f- look and feel of a John Hughes film, really. I mean, yeah. it is that. <laughs> well, that, I'll take that as a very high compliment. <laughs> yeah, thank you. 
Yeah. I mean, and it's not just the hairdos and everything. I mean, but what is it about, I mean, yeah. any idea of, what is it about the 80s and 90s? We have these crazes and manias. We have, I'm thinking of some other films that have come out. Pez Outlaw, yeah. Pepsi, Where's yeah. My Jet? These sort of yeah. things. It, yeah, yeah, It seems yeah. like a very different era. I think someone who was coming at Tribeca said it's like this sweet spot of innocent entrepreneurism and greed. But, yeah. you know, Well, it's kind of a, I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of American. It's capitalism. And it's really, I I think something that, you know, filmmakers have have looked at for a long time is, is consumerism and capitalism and, you know, what is, makes a great entrepreneur versus what makes somebody greedy. You know, that line is very thin uh, between those two things. And also there's just really kind of a, I think, um, innocence of a lot of these products that, uh, that people, you know, as people know them, that, you know, really had some struggles or really had some very detailed backstories that are way more complicated than it, than it seemed, you know, just to people out front. So I I personally find it fascinating. I think it speaks volumes about us as a society and what we find as a priority because, you think about these these you know Cabbage Patch Kid riots and people going to hospitals you know for trying to get these dolls and it's not like we looked at that and thought boy that was a terrible idea <laughs> it's actually yeah time <laughs> yeah, out like, like who were like let's take a, let's take stock as a people <laughs> right, instead right. we go the opposite direction we go mm. full bore into like, getting riot worthy toys and it right. just never stops and that's kind of where we got to this, you know, Black Friday right. kind of mentality of, you know, to this day, people fighting over, you know, Furbies and Tiffany Elmos and color television sets and flat screens and computers. And it's, yeah. you know, it just, it never stopped. Yeah. To the point that I think we're even kind of shrugging it off these days. I mean, they don't, do they even run I, those you, stories it's anymore? Not, it's, I mean, it's just really not shocking anymore, right? <laughs> yeah. Six people trampled last night at Kmart for going yeah. and it's like, oh, that's, ter- that's too yeah. bad. But I bet they got great deals. Exactly. <laughs> I wish I'd been there. <laughs> I know. It's sad. It's really yeah. kind of sad. Yeah. I think we're going to give our listeners and viewers a, a quick break. So we'll be right back with uh, Dan Goodman, producer of Billion Dollar Babies and uh, a host of films. And co- you're also co-founder of the Academy and Emmy-winning studio Believe Entertainment. So, uh, again, Billion Dollar Babies, theatrical release on November 24th, Black Friday. You're listening to Factual America. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or X to keep up to date with new releases or upcoming shows. Check out the show notes to learn more about the program, our guests, and the team behind the production. Now back to Factual America. Uh, welcome back to Factual America. We're here with uh, Dan Goodman, the producer of Billion Dollar Babies. We've just been talking about cabbage patch kids and the craze that they were and they were the as one does yes that's what we do here um so maybe you know you you how did you and believe entertainment become involved with this project was it your idea or when did you become involved yeah it started it started with with believe with um me and my business partners uh, um which a lot of our stuff does uh, mm-hmm. as we're always you know we're a studio so we're always looking for ideas and I remember one day um driving i don't know where I was somewhere 
and seeing a, a billboard for uh, Black Friday sales. And it was kind of early in the season. And I'm thinking, right. oh, my God, here we go. And yeah. it was toward the it was really the first Black Friday coming out of COVID. It was the first time people were going to be allowed back right. into right. physical stores for holiday shopping. Right. And I saw this Black Friday ad and, and thinking to myself, not only is it earlier than normal because they're trying to get people back into stores, but man, we've been cooped up for the last you know two right. plus years. Right. And they're going to let people loose inside retail stores. They're going to lose their minds. People are going to go <laughs> crazy. And I'm thinking, of my, it's like, this is, yeah. you know, it, people yeah. are going to die. Right. And so we just started having this conversation. I was like, remember Cabbage Patch Kids? Remember how nuts people mm. went for Cabbage Patch Kids and started, you know, killing each other to try to, you know, beating right. each other up to try to get these dolls? And we just started doing a little research because it was interesting to us. And, you know, what we found was there were a lot of toy fads before that were kind of mm. nuts. Like in 1977, there were Star Wars toys that were so popular that... Um, I think it was Kenner that was making them at the time. Right. They couldn't keep up with demand. They started selling empty boxes. So you would go to like Toys R Us, you would buy the box, you would keep the receipt, and they would like, you'd take down your info and they'd mail you a bag of, you know, the toys right. like three weeks later. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there were some, you know, there were crazy things going on, mm. uh, but nobody leaving in ambulances. And I think that's where it really piqued our interest and was we saw something bigger than just a nostalgia story. We saw mm. a much larger story of kind of evolution of social behavior and, you know, and, and what and how we prioritize things as a society. So we started looking into that uh, even further. Um, we were very fortunate to partner with NBC Universal Syndication Studios mm. um, to, uh, to co-produce with us which is how we uh, got uh, to Connie Chung. It's going to ask. Uh, oh, she's so great. Yeah. She's so great. I mean, she is such a character, lively, smart, fun. She is just, I cannot say enough great things about Connie. She's terrific. I mean, for those of you who don't know, she's an 80s and 90s news icon. I mean, yeah. you know, no, there was no bigger name in news really at the time. I mean, there were big names, but she was right yeah. up there. Was she was right up there. Yeah. yeah. And she did this interview on the Today Show on NBC um, that she calls a five-minute commercial. Yeah. Um, you know, one of my favorite lines or, or, or stories that she recounts in the, in the doc is she says, you know, giving away five minutes on the Today Show is – this is oh. so valuable. The airtime right. is just right. so valuable. And she says – if we had had a world, a Middle East world leader on the show, would we have given that person five minutes? She says, I, I, I can't say that we would have. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it just, you really get a sense of how big this thing was. Um, and and, and at it was time, great. It's, it just puts it in perspective. Yeah, Sorry. and at a time before the internet, and so, you know, it was even, you know... That's right. Network TV, advertise, Madison Avenue rates, I don't know what they would have been, but, I, you know, that was the only game in town. Precious airtime. Precious airtime, and this gets back to this whole mentality that you your film also talks on. 
You tell people there's a shortage, that makes them even want it more. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Well, uh, the, so the, the, there they was even pull um, the advertising. You know, I mean, and it still people. You know, it didn't stop anyone. Well, there was a there was a um, there was a, a, a claim filed um, mm. by uh, the, the New York uh, by New York State against Coleco, yeah. uh, accusing them of harassing children. This is real. This this happened. Accusing them of harassing children because you cannot advertise a product that you cannot buy, and they did, they were not in stores, so they pulled the ads. And like you said, they made this big announcement: we're pulling the ads, we're not doing anything. Yeah. And of course, it just created more craziness yeah. around the product thereafter. But <laughs> I mean, it's a great. It's yeah. I mean, it's it, this is where the the reality is is way stranger than fiction you couldn't make that up about harassing children um i think yeah. it's it just an amazing commentary on what was happening at the time yeah, yeah and the u.s is not a litigious country but i mean it's like uh i mean but, but and, and, I'm, and I, sh I should just stress to those who haven't seen i mean it is true i mean you're not exaggerating they are riots there are riots happening at these yes. stores you have it documented yes. there are people yes. being hurt i mean not that we want to relish re revel in that but it is i mean it is happening and it's kind of like other things we've we had a guest on one time who you know similar thing um Oh, you're from Jersey, Class Action Park. Uh, but uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Of course. Yes. <laughs> and, and I said, "Well, I couldn't help but laugh at some of these stories." He goes, "Well, that's just human nature because it is. You yeah. don't know what else to do. You don't know what With, else to do. To, and it, but it is true. But I mean, besides Connie Chung, I mean, you also. How did you get Neil Patrick Harris to narrate this? Yeah, Neil. Uh, so Neil Patrick Harris, he's terrific, and um, you know we. We really wanted somebody who, you know, first of all, felt like he, you know, or she belonged in the mm -hmm. time. Obviously, a very iconic, you know, character from the 80s. And right. somebody who lived it, who experienced it, who knew it firsthand. So it was really right. important to us, that authenticity of having somebody involved like that. And then mm -hmm. Neil's, his just, his talent, one of his great talents is just the ability to you know, deliver his lines with this just the right twinge of subversiveness that <laughs> is so perfect for what we were trying to do. He's just, he, yeah. he's just mastered that mm -hmm. art and he's so great at it because let's face it, it's Cabbage Patch Kids, right? Yeah. You can't, right. I mean, you can't take it too seriously, but there are serious things and interesting things that right. happen. Right. Right. Um, so we just, you know, we just reached out to his team. We happened to be at the same talent agency and we just reached out to his folks mm. um i wish i could say there was more to it but he just sparked to the idea you know and was yeah. like yeah i'll do it that sounds great yeah. uh and he was just a real pleasure to work with uh, again i can't say enough nice things about him yeah i i know i realize we don't have that much time left together but i do want to ask you a few more questions if if sure. i may it's, absolutely um so i mean you're you know uh Believe Entertainment, uh, you co-founded it. I mean, it even says on your web yeah. website, talks about the ever-changing distribution land landscape. Yeah. Um, you released this in 2022. You're now getting it out yeah. <laughs> now. What yeah. does that say about distribution and where we are yeah. right now? You know, it's a, it's, it's a great, um, it's a great point. Um, because on the one hand, there's so many amazing new ways to distribute content and get it out there. 
Um, and then in a lot of ways, it's, you know, just as challenging as it's ever been. Um, you know, the, I, I think right now there's, there's a lot of change going through the business, obviously with, you know, the strikes that have just recently ended, um, you know, it's a big part of just kind of taking stock in the new distribution, uh, landscape. Mm -hmm. A big part of that had to do with, you know, the success of shows when they go on a streaming platform, it's really hard to determine the success of those shows. There's no real, you know, residual formula like there is for hit movies or TV shows, mm. kind of where everybody, you know, participates in the success. So I think the industry is going through a real evaluation process of um, what that landscape looks like going forward. Mm. We kind of started our business in early days, you know, of digital distribution Right. Um, you know, specifically because we said this is before, you know, any of the SVOD streamers or any of that stuff existed. Um, you know, so when we're talking about streaming, it was like partner with AOL and Yahoo. Right. And, you right. know, I mean, really early, early days. Right. I mean, we did one of the first uh, shows on YouTube when YouTube told us they weren't going to do content. They were just a tech company. But if, you know, if we want to figure it out and put our stuff up there, great, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, it was early, early days, yeah. but the whole idea was finding a way to connect yeah. more directly with audiences, especially mm. when you have great talent who kind of command their own audiences, you know, and we still believe in that and we still believe in that approach. Um, so we're always trying to find, you know, new ways of developing this stuff. And, you know, the theatrical release for Billion Dollar Babies is just going to be the first part of, you know, what's going to be a multi-phase strategy of, uh, releasing this in market. Okay, and I also and, and as part of the con connecting with the uh, with the audience, is that sort of I, I've noticed that you've really moved into podcasts as well. Is that part of that? We have uh, we we yeah. You know, again, it, we're an anomaly in that we just you know we kind of follow the things that we think are interesting. Um, we really love the scripted podcast world. We just. Mm -hmm. uh, released a series about Alice Roosevelt, Theodore's oldest daughter, uh, mm -hmm. who was sort of the original um, rebel uh, daughter, right. um, smoking, driving in cars with boys, drinking, you know, and this is, you know, 1900. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and it's a great story. It's on Audible right now. Uh, it was our first, um, you know, kind of start in scripted podcasting and stuff. But yeah, I think we're, we're trying to find ways of telling um, great stories in different venues and, and accessing a lot of different distribution means, um, you know, to get the stuff out there. Yeah. And is that a way, do you see it as a way to develop trial ideas that then you might bring to the big screen or the small screen or do they stay yeah, on their I own? Mean, it's, or? You know, I, I think it's both. I, I, you know, the, the, the scripted podcast of it, it does require, I mean, it, it does require a pretty significant amount of work to do those things because they're really like old school radio shows. You know, it's, yeah. I mean, I think we had 85 speaking parts in this thing, wow. you know, including all the extras and what have you. Right. But, so, you know, we had a, a lot of voice actors, um, some, you know, some great lead talent like um, Emma Roberts and Tony Goldwyn mm -hmm. and Maggie Siff, um, Beza Dabu. Uh, and um, it just, there's a lot of work involved in that. So you really can't do it only because 
you want it to be a TV show. It's like getting right. an MBA because you think it's going to look good on a resume. Well, yeah, it might look good on a resume and it'll probably help you with a job later, but it's a lot of work, you yeah. know, to get an advanced degree, to get a master's yeah. degree, right? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it's the same kind of thing. I think, you know, we we hope that it leads to other things. We think it's a great way to test stuff out, get to know the characters and mm. really delve into their worlds. But um, it's it's also something that we, we love and we're very proud of in this form because it's a really fun interesting yeah. way to create something, you know, leaves a lot to the imagination that you have to fill in by only listening and not being able to, you know, see something in front of you. And if I'm doing my job, then I tame this back to Cabbage Patch Kids, which is all <laughs> about right. people using their imagination. That's and, right. And, Very know, well done. Yeah, that's exactly. Um, I know you've got to go, but, uh, and I've, uh, I've done my best Connie Chung in terms of giving you some five minutes for Believe Entertainment, I think. But, uh, <laughs> I but think what, you have, which I appreciate. But, but, but no, but it's, but it's interesting because we, yeah. you know, we, our audience uh, is something I've seen with others and I have. I'm not going to ask the golden age documentary question, but it, it feels kind of like maybe we're, that's kind of where we are with podcasts, isn't it? I mean, there's something, I mean, everyone seems to have a podcast these days. There's loads of them, but there's not enough good ones, yeah. I would say. And so, agreed. Um, you know, it does seem like it's an interesting new, Is it, it's got an excitement to it, doesn't well, it? Well, I think it's very accessible, yeah. um, un unlike anything else. And to me, that's always been... Um, I think an interesting way of uh, thinking about it because it's reaching people in, you know, this sort of convenience world where they can bring it with them very easily, you know, put on some headphones and, and listen to it, or they sit in the car and listen to something or, you know, and you can listen to it in parts. So I, I think it's just become because of the, the nature of our, you know, yeah. fractured, hurried lives. It's um, something that just works really well in everybody's, you know, schedule yeah. <laughs> for a lot of ways. And then I think people have been very creative recently. I mean, yeah. I think there's a yeah. lot of real creativity, which is why I go back to this, like, yeah, it's a way to develop for other stuff and hopefully it goes places, but mm. there's something kind of magical about it. You know, there's something mm. really, I think, in, in inspiring to a lot of people. It's very accessible. It's very approachable. And I think it brings people, listeners, very close uh, to the people that they're listening to um, in a very intimate way that I don't think TV delivers. It's a very different experience, I think. Mm. Well, one last thing, and then we'll sign off. Uh, what's yeah. next for you in Believe Entertainment? Anything you, uh, anything like Dear Basketball in the works, or any, yes, you know? yes, yes. Well, there are uh, there are a number of uh, documentaries uh, in development, and there are two that will be coming out on Peacock, NBC's streaming channel. Uh, one in February, and one next spring that we'll be announcing very soon. Okay. Um, one in the music space, one in the sports space that we're real excited about and we're just finishing production on. Well, if we haven't uh, scared you off, we'd love to have you on again. To <laughs> I would love those. it. That yeah, would be well, great. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Dan. Uh, just to remind our listeners and viewers, we've been talking with Dan Goodman, uh, producer of Billion Dollar Babies and a host of other films, and he's also co-founder of the Academy and Emmy-winning studio uh, Believe Entertainment Group. 
uh, Billion Dollar Babies, uh, theatrical release on November 24th. What else are you doing on Black Friday? You you don't need to go shopping. That's right. Who needs to shop? Go see the movie. Go to the theater. You know, it's probably the local local theaters, probably not too far from all the shopping venues anyway. That's right. So so make a point of checking it out, and I'm sure you'll find it fun and as enjoyable as I did. So thanks again, Dan. Thanks again for joining us on Factual America. A big shout out to everyone at Intersound Audio in York, England for their great studio and fine editing and production skills. A big thanks to Amy Ord, our podcast manager, who ensures we continue getting great guests onto the show and that everything otherwise runs smoothly. Finally, a big thanks to you, our listeners. Please keep sending us feedback and episode ideas, whether it is on YouTube, social media, or directly by email. And please also remember to like us and share us with your friends and family, wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. This is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Alamo Pictures, which specializes in documentaries, television, and shorts about the U.S. for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and X. Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is factualamerica.com.